Section twenty six of Old Rail Fence Corners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Old Rail Fence Corners. Edited by Lucy Leavenworth Wilder Morris. Section twenty six. Major S. A. Buell, eighteen fifty six. Major Buell, eighty seven years old, whose memory is remarkable, says, I came to Minnesota in eighteen fifty six, settling in St. Peter and practicing law. Early in eighteen fifty six, Mr. Cowan, one of the brightest lawyers and finest men Minnesota has ever known, came to Traverse de Sioux with his family to open a store he soon became a warm friend of judge flandrau who urged him to study law with him he was made county auditor and in his spare time studied law and was admitted to the bar he was much beloved by all a sparkling talker his word as good as his bond he had never been well and as time went on gradually grew weaker his house was a little more than a block from his office but it soon became more than he could do to walk that distance. On the common, halfway between the two, was the liberty pole. He had had a seat made at this point and rested there. When he was no more, the eyes of his old friends would grow misty when they passed this hallowed spot. Soon after I made the acquaintance of Judge Flandrau at Traverse de Sioux, there was a young man visiting him from Washington. The judge took us both on our first prairie chicken hunt. We had no dog. On the upper prairie back of the town, going along a road, we disturbed an old prairie hen that attempted to draw us away from her young. The judge had admonished us that we must never kill on the ground, always on the wing, to be sportsmen. This hen scudded and skipped along a rod or two at a time. Finally, he said, Fellows, I can't stand this. I must shoot that chicken. You won't tell if I do. We pledged our word. He fired and missed. After we got home, we told everybody, for we said we had only promised not to tell if he shot it. We never enjoyed this joke half as much as he did. We always joked him about making tatting. Flandrau, dearest of men, true as steel, decided in character, but forgiving in heart, a warm friend, was one of the greatest men our state has ever known. He was a tall, dark man, and very active. He had often told me how he and Garvey, clerk for the Indian trader at Traverse de Sioux, used to walk the seventy-five miles to St. Paul in two days. He once walked one hundred and fifty miles in three days to the land office at Winona. In 1858 I built my own home in St. Peter, and made my garden. The year before I had gone into a clump of plums, when they were fruiting and tied white rags to the best i had moved them into my garden and they were doing fine one day i took off my vest as i was working and hung it on one of these trees suddenly my attention was attracted to the sky and i never saw a more beautiful sight a horde of grasshoppers were gently alighting nothing more beautiful than the shimmering of the sun on their thousands of gold bronze wings could be imagined they took everything 
and then passed on leaving gardens looking as if they had been burned when i went for that vest they had eaten it all but the seams it was the funniest sight just a skeleton not a smitch of white rags left on the trees either we people who lived in minnesota thought there was only one kind of wild grape a man by the name of seeger who had been in russia and was connected with a wine house in moscow came to st peter in the minnesota valley were immense wild grape vines covering the tallest trees here he found five distinct varieties of grapes and said one kind would make a fine red wine burgundy told me how to make this wine from grapes growing wild on my own farm i made about ten gallons when it was a year old it was very heady edward eagleston belonged to a debating society in st peter and was on the successful side in a debate has love a language not articulate he was a methodist preacher here but later had charge of a congregational church in brooklyn new york he said when the methodists abolished itineracy and mission work he thought the most useful part of the church was gone in my boyhood days at home a little boy in the neighborhood had the misfortune to drink some lye fortunately the doctor was near and using a stomach pump saved his life for the time being however the child's stomach could retain nothing in a short time he was a skeleton indeed one day his father who carried him around constantly happened to be by the cow when she was being milked the child asked for some milk and was given it directly from the cow great was the father's astonishment when the little lad retained it milk given him two minutes after milking was at once ejected the father had a pen made just outside his son's bedroom window and the cow kept there and here many times a day the cow was milked and the milk instantly given after several months the child was restored to health one night in minnesota just as i was going to sit down to supper my wife told me that a man who had just passed told her that a child that lived ten miles back in the country had drank lye some days before and was expected to die as he could retain nothing without waiting to eat my supper i jumped on a horse and made the trip there in record speed this child followed the same formula and was saved it was easy for youngsters to get a lye for every house had the leech for the making of soap this lye was made by letting water drip over hardwood ashes in a barrel a cupful would be taken out and its strength tried if it would hold up an egg it was prime for soap it was clear as tea if it was left in a cup it was easily mistaken for it during the days when new ulm was expecting a second indian attack and the town was full of refugees i was ordered to destroy some buildings on the outskirts i started with a hotel and opened all the straw ticks that had been used for refugees beds and threw the contents all around i believed all the people had left but thought i would go in every room and make sure of this in one room i heard a queer noise and going to the bed found a small baby that had been tomahawked its little head was dented in two places i took it with me and went out its grandmother who owned the place came running frantically and took it from me its father and mother had been killed and it had been brought in by the refugees in the hasty departure it had been overlooked each one supposing the other had taken it on the twenty-fifth day of august after the massacre of the twenty-second around new ulm and in the vicinity a little boy who had saved himself from the indians 
by secreting himself in the grass of the swamps, came into New Ulm, and said there were twelve people alive, and a number of bodies to be buried sixteen miles from New Ulm. He said he had seen a man who was driving a horse and wagon, shot and scalped, but could not tell what had become of the woman and the baby that were riding with him. The troops marched to the place, having the boy as a guide, buried a number of bodies, and brought the twelve survivors to New Ulm. They could find no trace of the woman and baby, although the father's body was found and buried. Later, the troops marched to Mankato, stopping at an empty farmhouse sixteen miles from New Ulm for the night. This farmhouse was on a small prairie, surrounded by higher land. The sentries were ordered to watch the horizon with the greatest care for fear the skulking Indians might ambush the troops. It was a night when the rain fell spasmodically, alternating with moonlight. Suddenly, one of the sentries saw a figure on the horizon and watched it disappear in the grass, then appear and crawl along a fence in his direction. He called, Who goes there? at the same time cocking his gun ready to shoot. At the answer, Winnebago, he fired. At that moment there had been a little shower, and his gun refused to fire. Later he found that the cap had become attached to the hammer, and the powder must have been dampened by the shower. He dashed for the figure to find a white woman and baby, and was horrified to think that if the gun had fired she would have been blown to pieces. This was woman for whom they had looked in the swamp thirty miles away. He aroused the troops who took her in. She held out her baby whose hand was partly shot away, but said nothing about herself. Later they found that she had been shot through the back, and the wound had had no dressing except when she lay down in the streams. Her greatest fear had been that the baby would cry, but during all those eight awful days and nights, while she lay hidden in the swamps, or crawled on her way at night, this baby had never made a sound. As soon as it became warm and was thoroughly fed, it cried incessantly for twelve hours. The mother said that for three days the Indians had pursued her with dogs, but she had managed to evade them by criss-crossing through the streams. She had said Winnebago, as she thought she was approaching a Sioux camp, and they were supposed to be friendly to the Winnebagoes. She would then have welcomed captivity, as it seemed that the white people had left the earth, and death was inevitable. It may... 1857. Eggs were selling in St. Peter for six cents a dozen, butter at five cents per pound, and full-grown chickens at seventy-five cents a dozen, as game was so plentiful. End of section 26. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.